Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. You know that feeling when you drive down a nice neighborhood and you see that one beautiful lawn perfectly trimmed? What must it feel like to come home to that lawn, knowing the work you've put into it and the pride that comes with that? Well, the same can apply to your body. Keeping yourself properly trimmed and smelling great not only gives you the confidence to step up when you need to, it might surprise and delight your partner. So use Manscaped. Manscaped is the official sponsor of our podcast, and it's number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology so you won't nick or snag your nuts. That's fun to say. And don't use the same trimmer on your nuts that you use on your face because... Let's be honest, that's kind of gross. So right now, you get 20% off with free shipping by using the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's armchair. Always use the right tools for your family jewels. Your balls will thank you. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Wherever you are, welcome to another edition of the Bird Call, our special trade deadline uh, podcast. So we'll be talking a lot about what the New Orleans Pelicans are thinking, what they may be doing as we approach that February 7th trade deadline. With us today, as usual, Ali Cosell, our editor-in-chief at thebirdrights.com, as well as regular contributors, um, David Fisher and Kevin Berrios. Gentlemen, uh, glad to have us all back as a group. Kevin, we missed you the last time. Uh, oh, you feeling good, man? Uh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, uh, I listened to that podcast. And I thought y'all did great without me. <laughs> so. Well, then get the hell off the phone and let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Ruthless. All right. <laughs> this is how things work, gentlemen. I got my own show and my, my ego is out of control. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> let's set this up. The Pelicans are 19 and 29, four and a half games out of eighth place in the Western Conference and four games away from that trade deadline. The Pelicans likely need to win 22 out of their final uh, 34 games to get to 500. Uh, that would probably put them in that eighth spot. Currently, the Pelicans, according to tankathon.com, have the fifth easiest remaining schedule in the NBA and the second softest in the West behind the Clippers. Ali, before we get into what the team is thinking, just looking at the Pelicans as they are constituted right now, are they a legitimate playoff contender or is the franchise chasing some fool's gold here? Now, we've talked about this. We've talked about it with, you know, Kevin, David, everybody within the group. And uh, they legitimately are still in the race. Projections love and actually favor them to grab that eighth spot, right? I mean, we've all talked ad nauseum about how the final schedule coming up is going to be Cupcake City. 
So we all think, hey, as long as they keep their health, they're going to be in the running. So that alone leaves them in it. And for realistic sake, yeah, it, that's as good as it gets, right? I mean, when you're four games out, this late stage of the game in the Western Conference, normally we're we're writing swan songs. And as Fish pointed out, not that long ago, it was a couple of weeks ago, when uh, the Anthony Davis one-year anniversary of his trade request happened, Pelicans were what five games out, right? So five and a half, yeah. right? And, and and back then, just a year ago, we were like, well, it's it, it's over. Obviously, the season was sunk, but things are a lot different this year. So, no, to answer your question, no, absolutely not. The Pelicans are still very much in this, but they have to win the games that they've got to. Right? They've got still was it three more games against Memphis, three more against San Antonio Spurs. So they've got to get the ones that are really especially in between them and that eighth spot with those teams. Let, yeah, let, so um, Fish, you have been one of the folks really focused on the schedule amongst our group. Um, you look at that schedule, nine games left against those teams, sitting eight through 11 currently in the West, starting, of course, Friday with the home game against Memphis. Five of those nine are at home, two of those against Memphis, four on the road, two of those at San Antonio. Pels four and two against the teams in front of them right now. Uh, that's got to be in, an encouraging sign right there. That is a very encouraging sign. And going back to Ollie's point on the schedules, you're looking at Memphis has one of the most difficult schedules in the league and in the West for the remainder no, no, of the season. Lot. Yeah, Fish, stay on what we're talking about here. The question to you is the success of the Pelicans against these opponents 8 through 11. I got to keep you on target here. So let's talk about that. All right. So success against those opponents, they beat the brakes off of Memphis, and Memphis was relatively healthy, and the Pelicans still were not um, 100%. They didn't have Zion yet. I think that's a very good matchup for them. Despite... San Antonio kind of sucking the fun out of the ball. There was also the nerves and the, just the jitters of this is Zion's first game. So I still feel like the Pelicans are going to match up very well with San Antonio. And then uh, to other teams in front of them, they already have two victories over Portland. Um, so they're looking good. They only need one more victory over San, uh, over Portland to secure the tiebreaker there. And I was I was tuning in the game that they have on right now. Portland's playing Houston, which, if it goes as it should, that would be a game where the Pelicans can gain some ground. So I feel like the schedule breaks out extremely well for the Pelicans. The opponents they match up very well against the teams in front of them, and they can claw, they can claw back into this very easily. They just need to win the games there, they should win, or the games that they need to win to climb up. So a quick follow-up on that before I move to Kevin. So less than a third of their remaining opponents on the schedule are above 500. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it's 12 out of the the uh, 34 uh, of those opponents are above 500. Two games against the Lakers left, as well as uh, three out of four of these are at home. Milwaukee, Miami, Indiana, Philly. Uh, so again, you look at the situation that the Pelicans are in, their road games, one against the Lakers, one against the Clippers, one against Utah, one against Houston, which is this weekend, one against Dallas, and one against Indiana. Against that group, again, the Pelicans have wins just about everyone in that group except for Dallas and uh, and the Lakers. But you have to feel, again, even the teams that are above 500 remaining on their schedule, 
those are a lot of winnable games there as well. Absolutely. And when we're looking back at what they've done the last 20 games, they have a lot of impressive wins against that group. They have since December 18 wins over Houston, over Indiana. Um, I don't know if they have a win over the Clippers in that span, but they have a win over Utah, um, a win over Denver. They, they have beaten good teams in the last 20 games. They haven't just fattened up on cupcakes. The cupcakes are coming now when the, the, the roster and everything is rounding into form. So this, there is a legitimate chance that they can go on an extremely strong run to end this season. So Kev, um, back to the Pelicans. So if we, we've said that they're a legitimate playoff contender, that's our, our thought, and I believe that's that's the consensus among the group. Um, what are the weaknesses that you see in personnel or in phases of the game that the Pelicans may need to address before the deadline internally before we even start talking about what they may be considering outside? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um... – some of the weaknesses we've seen are rebounding, obviously, especially when um, when Gentry wants to go smaller with Zion at the, at the five and playing several guards. So if you could get like a bigger guard or some like a tweener guard, three, like a two three guy that is a good rebounder um, to help in those situations. Um, I know a lot of you guys don't like those lineups. I see some pluses there, and if you could add, you know, somebody who's a better rebounder and more versatile defender into that group, I think it's a nice time to let Zion shine and get his offense and then let Drew and B.I. rest. So that's an avenue they could go to. Obviously, if you could get a like a stretchy four, kind of tweener, three, four is also not a bad idea to help space the floor, although Melly's showing some progress there um, with Zion. So it might not be as big of a need now. Um, but I think rim protection and rebounding is important because we've seen favors be hobbled. Um, you know, they don't want to play Zion on back-to-backs. We don't have that many back-to-backs. But, um, you know, it's just to have another guy that you could sit it, put in there that you could trust for a, a few minutes um, instead of having to rely on Jaleel Okafor or, or go completely small. I think those are the three biggest needs. I think they'll address one of those. You know, it just depends on what's out there and what they have to give up is what, what they're going to do. Alia, your thoughts on that? Because, you know, you, you spend as much time around this group and, and watch them in practices. You watch, we've watched them before the games. Um, and, of course, we watched them during the games. And we've talked with the coaching staff as well. What are they talking about? What do they really want to see this team do um, and, and improve? What are those areas that they need to shore up? They're honestly acting like they are right there for the eighth seed where – they're not four games or what are the four and a half games out of that spot. That group, this 15 man roster is as together as I've ever seen for, for a team that's this far below under 500. And the coaching staff is very fixated on this improvement that was bound to happen. And it has, we've got to give credit to that 13 and seven record that they've had since that 13 game losing streak. So they've done a lot of good stuff since of course, when, when uh, we basically all threw up our hands in the air. But the thing is, I think Kevin's right. There are some weaknesses. So if you are legitimately prioritizing this playoff run this year, you've got to make some kind of roster moves, I feel like. And Kevin hit upon the biggest one for me. When Derek Favors is not in the game, the Pelicans are very susceptible to honestly, the defense is flat out falling apart. 
they've tried the small ball with Zion Williamson. Granted, they've had some peaks where they've basically outscored the opponent because, let's face it, Zion had that 17-point burst, and there's been other moments to where they had no problems in at least keeping up with the opponent. But when it's shifted to either Jackson Hayes or even though Jill Okafor hasn't played that much recently, we've seen what basically he brings defensively to when the team needs a stop or two. And that's, you know, it, it hasn't happened. So they do need to address that, like I said. And But the thing is, though, what would they give up, right? That That's where uh, we're at. We're not there yet. We're not there okay, yet. But, Don't but jump ahead. That's, that's a question we got to get to. But either way, there are holes, David. We've talked about it all year long. All of us have talked about it. So this, the playoffs, if that's a priority, they do need to shore up some weaknesses in uh, these, what, remaining 35 games or so. So, um, Fish, the first big injection, like getting a trade here, was adding Zion Williamson. That's like, you know, David Griffin said it, and it's been used ad nauseum, that getting Zion is like getting a major midseason pickup. So now that you, he's been added to the mix, his minutes are increasing by the game. He played 30 minutes in his last game which will probably be around where he goes 30 to 33. I'm guessing on a, on a typical night, uh, the rotations are getting shorter. Alvin Gentry has been finding more consistency with his player groupings um, over the last two games in particular. How much of an impact does that alone have on uh, the way the Pelicans will approach the trade deadline? I do feel like you're seeing Gentry kind of narrow his focus to his I mean he you already know the eight that he has right you've got the starting lineup and then coming off the bench people that he trusts to play you've Hart got well, actually Hayes. seven you have Josh Hart and JJ Redick so Josh Hart JJ Redick and the starting five did we lose him yeah, it just yeah. did we? Yeah, it looks like we did. Okay, while we're waiting for, for us, we get him back. Fish, are you back with us? Not yet, but to carry on, that's absolutely well, right. Yeah, but, but we just need to continue on with that thought, though. <laughs> that is exactly what Gentry has wanted to achieve because we both, all of us, actually know that when Zion was thrown in, right, four minute bursts at the start of every quarter, that threw a, the biggest monkey wrench possible for a coaching staff in terms of trying to fill up the rest of the holes and rotations but now that they're out of it gentry is now able to do what he's probably wanted to do since game one even in training camp so to answer the question i feel like he's got the rotation he wants so he can give spot minutes to a jackson hayes or you know okafor whoever else is sitting out there each one more frank jackson so from that standpoint, David, I mean, we've got to feel confident about this group moving forward in terms of just the, the way the roster is con- currently constructed in making uh, a legitimate pursuit of the playoffs. Yeah, so since I haven't chimed in much, I, this is one that I really like because we addressed this a little bit last week. And, um, you know, during the first two games, there was, you know, folks were really beating on Alvin about his rotations. And Ali and I, in particular, we discussed this, and, and I said, if it if it gotten to Sunday, and we were still seeing that, if the by the Boston game we had still seen that loose 12, 11, 12 man rotation, I would have been really concerned. But we saw him partic- basically play eight guys against Boston because Jackson is always going to get his ten to twelve minutes, and then they played a few more against Cleveland, but that was primarily due to the Pels getting a twenty point lead and trying to allow the bench to get the starters some rest before they surrendered half that lead. Um, But 
going forward, yeah, I think if you're if Gentry's tightening that rotation to eight, that certainly also plays into making a move because you've got to bring in whoever that person is. If you're think if if you're considering, depending on the level of move that you're talking about, is got to be someone good enough to get into that eight man group or does is the is making a deal worth it if that person is only going to be a very small portion of that because again as you guys brought up earlier Nicola Melli has played much better as of late if he yes. can remain a guy who is yes. willing to shoot the basketball stay out of foul trouble and show some movement which is something he hadn't been doing um then he lessens a need as well. So I think that it, uh, has to all be in the mix. Now to get back to the questions, the top discussion, I think part of this picture too, we need to look again, look at those other teams in front of the Pelicans. So when you look at the Grizzlies, the Spurs, the Blazers, and the Suns, out of that group, and I'm going to have Kevin, you start this one off because I want all of you guys to answer this one. Out of that group, who would you say are the buyers, who are the sellers, and who's standing pat? And what are they looking for? All right, give me that list again. I mean, I should know it, but... Um, Grizz, Spurs, Blazers, Suns. I think really the only team that's going to be a, a buyer out of that would be the Trailblazers. I feel like they feel a desperation to be in the playoffs every year. You know, they're right. kind of like they're kind of like us in a sense, you know, that they're a small market team, but they're trying to stay relevant constantly. Um, they've done a much better job of it than us. Obviously, they're constantly in the playoffs. And any dip in that becomes a problem, and then you don't have to worry. Then you don't want to have people trying to tear your team apart, trying to create, uh, you know, problems between uh, Lillard and CJ. Does they do they work and that kind of thing? And then making trades just to make trades. If, if you're not in the mix, if you're in the mix, um, then you know everything's fine. As long as they get into the playoffs, I think they'll feel fine. But they do need that extra boost. They're definitely missing something. We've already seen them make somewhat of a move. Uh, getting rid of uh, Bazemore. Um, but uh, I do think they would be the team that would be the um, buyer out of that group because I think the Grizzlies are still young. They have a bunch of expirings right. um, that they've taken on salary for people to, to, you know, to get other assets and stuff like that. And I, I think making the, they would be happy to make the playoffs. They're going to try to make the playoffs, but I don't think it's, you know, playoffs are bust or, or they don't feel good about what they've accomplished. And I feel like, that the Blazers are that team that if they don't make the playoffs, they can't feel good about what they've accomplished this season just because of where they were last year and just how that franchise has been such a stable force for so long. Fish, same yes. group. Grizz, Spurs, Blazers, Suns, <laughs> buyers, sellers, who stand in pad, and what are they looking for? So when we're talking about uh, the Spurs, the Spurs historically stand pat during the season. I think that's most likely to continue. It's unlikely that they'll make a move. They might make a move around the edges, but not the the big move that you might think where DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge, because they still want to make the playoffs too. That's a lot of organizational momentum. I think that's what Kevin was talking about with Portland. Portland, of course, is going to be a buyer because they're they're always kind of swinging for the fences with with their core. Phoenix is kind of hard to get a read on. They they could just stand pat. They might sell off a piece or two that isn't terribly in their rotation, but I don't feel like 
Phoenix does have more pressure to win in the short term than say Memphis does. And then with Memphis, Memphis could sell in the fact that they're, they trade away, say Andre Iguodala for something, but Andre Iguodala isn't playing games for them right now. So does it really feel like selling or just cashing in on the asset outside of that? Um, the, the rest of their roster, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of stood pat outside of, are we going to try to recoup some value, some additional value for Iguodala, or are we going to buy, well, or would the Grizzlies buy out Iguodala so that he could go most likely to the Lakers or the Clippers? I think that they would much rather develop some kind of bidding war and get some future non-imaginary second round pick so but i wouldn't say that the the grizzlies the spurs and the suns i would be surprised if any of them made a big splashy move whereas with portland you almost expect that they are going to just swing as hard as they can to try to make something happen what's interesting about that is i feel like if portland was just a little bit better like if they were like right at the eighth spot you could see them buying Iguodala from Memphis you know I think that's like a move that makes sense for them to get a perimeter defender and all but I just don't know if they'll cash in for somebody like Iguodala on a one-year deal with where they are right now and take that gamble and still miss the playoffs you know well, how, much does, how, how much does Nurkic's return yes. affect all of that because Nurkic being added to that group coming off the injury if they feel comfortable with him in the front court do they move him if he's healthy before the deadline and try to get a piece back? Or do they keep him so you can see what that front court of Whiteside and Nurkic, that rotation looks like? Or who are you asking me? Uh, can... Well, both of you talked about Portland. So either well, one I, would, I don't think they're moving Nurkic at all. I mean, right. I, you know, I think they would love to move Whiteside if they can move anybody. But yep. um you know, Nurkic is locked up for a few years, and I think they really liked him, and they they like what they've seen out of him. Exactly what they have with him, and how he works with the players that they have already. So I think he's part of the long long term there as well. All right, so Ali, your thoughts on that group? Yeah, here's the thing with Portland, though. I feel like they've already gone out and they've added Carmelo Anthony during the season, and of course now recently Trevor Ariza. So with Nurkic back to practicing, um, you've got to think he's going to be back probably within a couple of weeks at the most, that they're going to be healthy squadron, right? They're going to, they're going to be assembled as best as they probably wanted to be all year. And so I don't see them making a move, even though they're going to be right in the hunt. So to answer your question, I don't think any of the teams above the Pelicans are going to be actively searching and adding that help in trying to make these playoffs. For whatever, so, you know, for each team's individual reasons. So then, gentlemen, if that's the climate, if the teams in front of them that we all know are flawed in one way or another, or else they all wouldn't be below 500 like the Pelicans, and they're not likely to make moves, does that climate lessen the need for the Pelicans to move, make a move, or increase it? This time we'll start with you, Ollie. Yeah, I think it definitely lessens it, right? I mean, if you're not adding legitimate firepower to their cores, individual cores, then therefore the Pelicans have nothing to fear from what we've already faced alone in seeing that the Pelicans have had no issues playing any of these teams. 
I mean, the Portland Trailblazers, the Pelicans have tossed aside <laughs> legitimately. Memphis, they destroyed on Martin Luther King Day, and they've got probably the most important matchup maybe of the season coming up on Friday. But outside of that, there, there's I don't think there's anything to fear. I'll be honest with you. I mean, when you look at the projections, you look at what we've seen with our eyes, with the way Zion has finally, not finally, just, just the way he's integrated himself. And I, I love this last game where he went for 14 and nine, really took a backseat that entire game to where Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, and, and a couple of role players took the shine. Um, it shows the firepower that Pelicans have. So they don't legitimately need to add anybody as to where these opponents, and, and I'm talking about, of course, the guys, the teams ahead of the Pelicans, they do have those issues. But again, we've just mentioned they're not going to make any moves because the Port, uh, Portland Trailblazers, I feel like they're very loaded up, right? They don't have many assets to deal and improve their team. Memphis Grizzlies, they are all about the future. When you look at just John Morant and Jaron Jackson, of course, and Dylan Brooks, he's had a heck of a heck of a coming out party to where he's 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 most improved player candidate. They're focused more on the future. Spurs, David's already touching them perfectly. They're not apt to change because let's face it, Push Pop, he believes in continuity 110%. So he doesn't believe in the shakeup unless it's legitimately for a drastically improved player and of course the Suns. i'm sorry i'm just going to dismiss them i mean they've had the rumors with aaron baines they're so up and down but they've been mostly down since the start of the season so it is wide open i feel like it does benefit the pelicans um guys what about you uh fish you got any comment on that is the climate more necessary is it more necessary for the pelicans to make a deal or less necessary in light of what we see in front of them can I touch on the Pelicans' assets, or are we just speaking about the client climate? On this one, we're just talking climate. We are going to talk about assets. See, I've planned all this stuff. Okay, so in, in terms of the climate, mm -hmm. if, if you're just looking at that, you look at the Pelicans' roster and how it's performed over the last 20 games and what the schedule looks like over the next 35, and you say, we're winning 65% of our games against good opponents. We're about to play bad teams. And not only are they going to play bad teams, they're going to play bad teams in March and April when a lot of teams just pack it in. They're, they're relatively easy wins. So it just in the climate situation, it would feel like, hey, it's good to stand pat. But we'll cover here coming up why I feel like they still should make a move. All right. Uh, yes, and that is coming up shortly. I, um, I'll just yeah, say ahead, I, I mostly agree with you guys. The only thing that I think that we're looking at too much is that we're looking at them trying to pass up these teams to get into the playoffs. And I think, obviously, we all believe that they have the roster to be able to do that, or at least have a, a real good chance at doing that. But once you get into the playoffs, you still need another guy. And I think especially if you're looking at – if you get the eighth seed, you're most likely playing the Lakers, and then you look at the Lakers roster and they have JaVale McGee and, um, and, and um, the White Howard, Anthony Davis. You know, you have a lot of big men that they can throw at you. So I, I think there's still a, a, another, you know, move to be made to get somebody like that if you wanted to make that series competitive and not just be like – a feather in your cap that it was a playoff year. If you want to try to like compete against that team, I, I think you need to add another reliable big man. And so I think that it would be 
relatively smart if you could, you know, I'm not saying trade any really good players, but if you could turn some, you know, lower end of the roster or salary and some, you know, things into just a serviceable big man that can give you decent minutes without costing you a lot, then I think it's a move that they should make. I don't necessarily think that they need to make a trade though. One thing we guys, we got to mention though, is the strength of schedule left, right? And according to Tankathon, I mean, the hardest schedule left Phoenix Suns, you know, they've got, they're facing opponents that have a combined 53.7% winning percentage, not too much further down the list. Memphis at number three, you got the Spurs at 12. And then of course, Portland's got the easiest next to the Pelicans, but still Portland is going to face more teams above 500 than below 500. And as we know with the Pelicans, the vast majority are going to be below. So I think that is super key in this analysis. All right, let's, um, Let's move on to make to this deeper point. If the Pelicans are considering a move, and Kevin alluded to this just momentarily ago, the likelihood is that they're not going to try to make a big splash. Um, so if they're not making a big splash, are they trying to find a what? What is that position, Kevin? You 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 talked about your uh, focus of uh, interest. Give me a little bit more on that, and then we'll move on to Fish and then to Ali. As to if you were targeting that one spot, what position would you target? Okay, so I threw out there like the backup big man, but that's not actually the the main target that I I would target. I just think that's a target that makes sense if you forward think into the playoffs. Now, hey, no names, just I'm not. I'm just okay. So I often joke that I wish we could throw out a lineup of five Josh Hart's, and I feel like. <laughs> We look at what we've seen and what we know about Gentry. He loves to go trend small when he wants to go small, right? I mean, like he loves to go small. And we've seen the Zion and four guards, and we've seen how dynamic it can be on offense, but how terrible it could be on defense. So if we could find another Josh Hart-like guard to put into that lineup um, where you have, you know, Josh Hart, whoever this question mark is, who I gave a name to in the upcoming roundtable that we'll discuss also, um, and then, you know, Lonzo and, and one of the good, great shooters, either JJ or Etwan, then I think you can get some of the benefit. <clears throat> you can maintain the benefit of the offensive production that that gives you, but improve a little bit in rebounding and defense to sort of offset um, that disaster that's there. Um, so I, I because I know that's what, how Gentry wants to play and he's going to play that way. Um, regularly, and I would rather just have somebody that I'm confident in. That could also be, you know, the guy who possibly replaces Drew if you make a move in the off season, or, or you know, whatever. You're going to lose Etwan probably in the off season, so just to have that guy on the bench for the future as well um, is, is a good move for me. But I wouldn't be upset with you know a backup center or a stretch four because even though Melly's looked good recently. Um, you know, it's a very short, and that's the problem with all of this. It's such a short evaluation period because the deadline's so soon. That's why I don't really want to make any big move. Um, you know, that you can't trust that Melly's going to be that for the rest of the season or in the playoffs. Um, so I wouldn't be upset with another stretchy four kind of tweener, four three guy either to spell Brandon Ingram. So you gave me three positions, Kevin. I know. I said, give me one. But for me, like I said, positions. the number one is another Josh Hart. All right. You guys, see, look, you steal other people's answers. There are only five positions on the court. <laughs> and if you take three of them. I don't want a point guard. Game. How about that? I don't want a point guard. <laughs> <laughs> I do want a decision maker. 
I'm going to argue for a decision maker. All right, go ahead. Let's face it. If Drew's having one of his off games and Lonzo can be effective in transition and still finding the open man, his offense really does curtail whether his effectiveness in games, right? On just how he can get the rest of the guys going. So I feel like behind those two, there is a hole. Josh Hart's not that guy. Etwan Moore's not that guy. Neither is JJ Redick. They are all pretty much either going to be shooting off the dribble, spot up shooting, or make them one move, and then that's it. That They're going to look for their scoring opportunity. So I feel like there is a hole. Because Brandon Ingram has not developed fully yet to where you can rely on him to be a primary decision maker. So that, for me, is where if you really want to make the playoffs, you've got to have another guy. Say a Dennis Schroeder. Say just I know I'm naming names, David. I it's not, told you no it's names. Not, it's not Trey Canis. I'm just saying the likeness. Okay, the Pelicans need to have another creator off the bench to basically jumpstart an offense to get them going. Because as we saw in the losses, right, to the Spurs and the Nuggets, they could have used that guy. I would imagine that Fish is going to say that they have that guy and they're not playing him. <laughs> and I'm going to um, nod. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to let him say that. But at the, at the same time, if we're talking about decision-making, is it more important and fish decision? You can have both of these parts, but again, keep it tight. Um, is it more important to have a decision maker on the offensive end or have another person who is a great communicator on the defensive end? Offense says while the Pelicans have down periods on offense, offense, offensive consistency is not the problem with this team. They can put up points. They can find ways to put up points. With Zion in the lineup, they're getting into the bonus a lot more quickly. So when the offense bogs down, just put your head down and go to the rim, and you'll probably get fouled or something will happen in your two free throws. There's plenty of room on offense. It's defense. And when Derek Favors goes off the floor, this defense collapses because, I mean – Derek Favors is the brain behind the defense. And if if you watch how much the defense changes when he's on the floor to when he's off the floor. Now, would center be the position that I would target? No, but that's because between Hayes and Melly looking a little bit more spry. And the thing that um, with Melly is – He's serviceable if you play him as a defensive center and then on offense, he's just a stretch big man and you have somebody that's going to do all the diving and stuff like that. That's why he fits so well with Zion because Zion's much better defensively as a power forward than as a center. So for me, the thing that I would target is you need a tweener forward, somebody who can play three or four, Um, either takes some of the load off of Brandon Ingram, the amount of power forward he plays, or somebody that just takes off the defensive load from him when he slides down to four and can guard whoever the primary scorer is on the other end. That's where I would target my my assets, is can you get a, a, a small forward, power forward, somebody who can kind of play both. He might be a little too big or too slow to always play small forward or he might be a little on the small side to play power forward all the time. That's where I would target. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Fish on that one. Is that, is that what, that's what I'd want, a flexible defender at the 3-4 spots. Um, because Ingram's defense can still at times be iffy, 
on the perimeter. Um, and then, like you said, at, at having in those small ball lineups, it's basically having a super Kenrich Williams. The things that you didn't get out, that you have not gotten out of Kenrich this season that you thought you were going to get, having somebody to play those two positions who can make an outside shot, who can defend, um, if there were to be a change, that's the change that I probably would pursue. Now that, and Fish brought up this point, so let's go ahead and address that. And first, let me let me say this to the listeners. If you're wondering why I've been so forceful on not mentioning names, it's because the Bird Rights is putting out a roundtable discussion of all of those, the things in this conversation with specifics from all of the contributors um, to the Bird Rights. So that kind of detail, we really want you to get in depth on it. We don't want to uh, shortchange you by having it just in this discussion. So you can, of course, listen to this podcast and then go check out um, the the roundtable. And I think that will certainly give a deeper impression of our thoughts as well as uh, the rest of the team. Uh, but going back to the assets discussion, if the Pelicans are moving assets, we're looking ahead to a draft that is not particularly strong. You are also dealing with the fact that you have the, the, the financial situation that the Pelicans are looking at in re-signing Brandon Ingram at the end of the season, dealing with Derek Favors, which I think we all agree we want to see come back in one form or another. Um, you have the Drew Holiday situations hanging out there as well. And then you have guys like Frank Jackson, Etwan Moore, Darius Miller, Jaleel Okafor, all guys who could be moved relatively easily, but what are you moving them for? So, Fish, I'll let you lead this one off. What are the assets that player assets that could be in play, and what are the non-tangible, the draft picks the uh, that could be in play? Well, to touch on the big, the headliner first, Drew Holiday. Um, due to the amount of his salary and the kind of return that a player of his stature typically would gain back, which is either very pick heavy or involves multiple players. It is extremely difficult for the trade to occur at this trade deadline. It's substantially more reasonable that the trade would occur this summer. And the reason I think that it should occur this summer is the fact that Drew Holiday is going to be on the final guaranteed year of his contract next season. And it's the time that makes the most sense for the Pelicans to move him. Moving on to the things that the Pelicans can move. If you think that you're going to move Drew Holiday this summer and you're going to get a lot of draft capital in that or some draft capital, that makes the draft capital that the Pelicans have, especially in this draft, when they have a lot of rookies already on the team, that'll only be second year players. And there's a very good likelihood that D. Luzada is going to be coming over next year from Australia, where he's been a draft and stash. So you already have a rookie. You have the Pelicans first round pick. You have the Pelicans second round pick. You have the Washington Wizards second round pick, which is a relatively valuable second round pick as they come because it should be within, you know, from 31 to 40. And then you also have the Milwaukee Bucks second round pick, which is most likely the 60th pick and is something that just kind of greases the skids for something. Um, <clears throat> all of those could potentially be in play, but from now until the trade deadline. The putting the putting the first round pick on the table and putting relatively minimal um, protections on it is could be one of the 
more valuable assets in terms of draft capital that is actually on the marketplace in the NBA. And you could put minimal protections on that, like top four protected or something like that. So just if the Pelicans end up missing the playoffs and get lucky in the draft, you're protected. <clears throat> so that's the draft capital that I think the Pelicans should have on the table. They also have of note, the Cleveland Cavaliers first round pick, which isn't really a first round pick. It's more likely to be the Cavs 2021 and 2022 seconds is what it converts to if it doesn't convey this summer. In addition to that, you have the expiring contract of Etuan Moore, who fills a similar role to J.J. Redick, who you already have under contract next year, and J.J. Redick does it much better than Etuan Moore does. You also have Frank Jackson, who is going to be a restricted free agent, but is also blocking the development of your first-round pick, who also plays the same position but does those things better, in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And you also um, have the, the, the very unique contract of Darius Miller. Darius Miller's contract, if the Pelicans trade it from now until the trade deadline, is this, the this contract next season is unguaranteed. So if the Pelicans make that trade, it's fundamentally they're trading an expiring contract. It's like $7 million. It's a great salary matching tool. If the Pelicans don't either, and I don't remember the exact guarantee date of his contract, if they trade him and his contract has not yet guaranteed, it doesn't, it's not worth any money. That's one of the things they changed in the CBA. Or they have to wait for the contract to guarantee, or they need to guarantee the contract, and then it's an expiring contract that they're trading for next season. So it's not quite as valuable to move. So when I when I said earlier that I feel like the Pelicans, they have some assets that are going to expire, most especially Etuan Moore and Darius Miller's contract, and you could get value for those things. And those are the things, along with the draft picks, just because you have so many young guys right now that I feel like the Pelicans should be putting on the table um, to the rest of the NBA and see what's the best 3-4 guy that we can get for some combination of these things. Kevin, two things for you. If the Pels were just saying, let's say, decided, hey, we like what we have on the table uh, on our roster right now, but we want to free up some playing time for, say, a Nikhil Alexander-Walker, do, do, you, do you think the Pelicans would be open just to dumping a Frank Jackson possibly, or someone else, you know, a Darius Miller or whatever, getting those salaries off the books, getting just, or Etuan Moore, whatever, would you think that they would be in position just to do a dump and take on another down-the-road second-round pick just to get somebody out of the rotation so you can get playing time? Um, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think they can do that without having to dump them. Um, if that's what they want to do, they can just play Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They don't have to like dump Frank Jackson to do it. And the, th and the only reason I say that they would mainly, I, as a Pelicans fan, I'm tortured because they're so we deal with so many injuries for so many years. So I'm reluctant just to dump a guy for the sake of dumping a guy for something down the road that's not even that great. You know what I mean? Uh, I'd rather just have his body and, you know, if we need it, we we need it. But we if we don't need it, we don't. Now, if you're making an upgrade or filling a hole 
like David's talking about, like get in a stretch four that that works for you, then by all means get rid of those guys. But I mean, I think Etwan could be a very valuable guy in the should we make the playoffs in the playoffs. You know, obviously, like I, you know, it's so impossible to say something bad about Frank Jackson and not everybody think that you like want to murder him in an alley or something which is not what I want. Like, I hope not. I like Frank, I like Frank Jackson. Like, he's a Let's fine Let's not do player. that, Kevin. I mean, but we don't want to... Mikhail Alexander-Walker is the future, and he has tools that better fit what you want out of that position that Frank is playing. So uh, I I want to see Mikhail, and I want to see less of Frank. Um, now, I think Frank could be great on another team. He could be fine. Not great. Um, let me rephrase that, but he can be fine on another team. He's going to constantly be an end of the rotation bench guy, you know, guy in the NBA till he's ready to retire. Cause he has the athleticism. He has enough skills to last in the league. Um, but like you said, he is holding back development and I don't think you need to necessarily dump him because of that, but Hey, if something's there, why not? Because I don't see him as part of the future here. Um, but I don't think you just have to go out and seek to dump them to open up playing time when you can just give the other guy playing time. So who would be – Kevin, give me your top three tradable assets considering you're looking forward to possibly making the playoffs. So you don't want to – like you said, you don't want to eliminate guys you think have value in the postseason. Yeah. So then whether they're draft picks or people, what top? What are your top three? Assets? I mean, Darius Miller obviously is not giving you anything because he's hurt and he has a $7 million contract, which helps you, right? And then Frank Jackson, I'm fine with moving him because he's a young player that other teams might find. They, they might think they could get something out of him for the future, and that's fine. If somebody's going to give you something for value for, I'm sure – I would I, I would drive Julia Okafor to the airport or I'd drive him wherever he wants to go if somebody wants to take him. Um, and then, you know, Kendrick Williams also is not long for this team. He's, uh, you know, so those guys, I think, are guys that none of us really want to see in the rotation anymore. I mean, maybe Ollie wants to see Frank some. I know he, he has a softer spot for Frank than the rest of us do. But I think if any of those guys were gone from this team, none of us would lose any sleep over it. Um, and I, you know, and as David said, also, you know, this is a weak draft coming up. So if you can combine those guys and you need to give a first to get a real difference maker, sure. And then we have so many seconds, we can just dump all those seconds for anything, you know? So, but yeah, as far as players go, Darius is number one, because, you know, you're not getting anything from him, any 7 million. So that helps you so much in getting like a guy that's a real rotation player in this league. And I can't live another day watching him walk around without an edge up. It's just bothering me <laughs> to my really very bad, core. It's a really bad tattoo, too, for as a guy that has a lot of tattoos. When I see his tattoo, it really hurts me a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it's it's offensive. I find him offensive in those regards. <laughs> Ali, <laughs> when we talk about moving the needle for the Pelicans, just position, I mean, just player that you bring in-wise, does that mean that, I mean, if, if you know, people are going to throw out big names. They're always going to say Bradley Beal. They're always going to say, you know, those type of players. But is that the type of move that helps this team right now? No. Easy answer, no. Look at what the starting lineup has done in four games, and that's where I am basing everything off of. And you should move the goalposts when you have something of this magnitude. 
to where the Pelicans wanted the starting lineup to be at the start of the season, preseason. Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Derek Favors. And they're killing it four games over these last four games to where it ranks them amongst the best lineups, forget starting lineups, among the best lineups if they had played enough minutes, basically. So I feel like that's untouchable. If you want the playoffs to be a goal this year, if you don't want to basically screw up any kind of continuity or whatever you're trying to build in this locker room with Zion, you don't trade Drew Holiday now. So those five are untouchable. And then you're just trying to add to that. So basically, that's why when you guys talked about adding a 3-4 power forward, I want to add a guy who's basically going to keep the Pelicans level for when a lot of the starters are sitting because the starting lineup is doing damage. And I want to, and I think, and I hope Griffin sees it the same way because favors can be brought back, I think, on a reasonable contract. Brandon Ingram's going to get re-signed. Drew Holly's still under contract. Lonzo. And, of course, uh, Zion. So you can keep the starting lineup that, that's really been killing it. And one's and a group that, like I said, Derek Favors this summer was, I mean, the easy answer is, honestly, to this, all of this is the fact that the Falcons have a fearsome group out there that can do a lot of damage and they can make waves within a game. So all you want to do is add pieces to that. So that's what I said you want to add a piece that you don't have to bring in, learn the system, basically be a role player. And that's Plug the way I look at a three and four guy, right? You guys want to talk about adding some kind of defensive presence and guard power fours and threes. I disagree with that. I think you just want to have basically what, what your best attributes are and it's scoring the ball. So you want to make sure that that drop off does not fall off. That's why I've been big on a decision maker. That's why I think Derek Rose, honestly, or somebody along those lines that w- wants to seek his own, but can also find an open teammate, would fit this roster best in terms of making a playoffs this year. I mean, All right. it, it's really that simple for me. How come All I right. get to say names and we don't? Yeah, I, don't, I was about to tell him something. You see, you I'm jumped cheating. in. I'm cheating because I, I feel the need to. You better not have – if that's in the in the roundtable, it's not, not for me, no. Friday, I'm going to punch you in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to punch you in the chest because I get arrested for that. But I will punch you in the No, it's just a difference maker, right? The Pelicans don't have a reliable difference maker. I feel like they've tried to force Frank Jackson this year into that role. Nikhil kind of was given miss, but he really hasn't, right? And I feel like that's what they really need because they've got the role players. Even Melly has now kind of emerged as a reliable guy as long as you get him in his spots. So you need the guy to find those guys in their spots, and they don't have that guy. Nikhil right. Alexander exists. Yeah, but All right. he hasn't proven himself enough, Fish. All he right, really- <laughs> so I think we, we've covered what was mo- in most of the questions that we got tonight, but I do like this one from our friend Tejada. Um, I have one for each of you. Uh, well, maybe this first one is really easy, so I'll just take that one. Uh, since next year's free agent and draft class is weak, do you think this helps or hurts in making a move? I think we've covered that, so I'll let that one pass. Um, but this one, I think that you all would have a good take on this one. What are your best and worst takeaways from the way the front office handled Zion's injury? Uh, Kevin, I'll start with you. Um, I don't really have any worst takeaways. I mean, I, they set up, uh, you know, that he had surgery. I guess maybe the, the worst thing is that they gave themselves a timeline at the beginning and that hurt them in, as far as um, perception. But, you know, we were all excited when Aaron Nelson got hired. We were tired. I mean, I was John Iship is the Julia Locafor of 
uh, trainers, you know, and like, I, I just, uh, like, can't stand that we were stuck with that guy for so long. And, and he had two tenures here recently, which was mind boggling and infuriating. Um, I mean, you know, I blame what happened to Tyreek Evans on him. Um, so I, you know, now we have a guy that's, you'll see him in the alley, Kevin, or is he the guy you'll meet in the alley? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, (laughs) Oh, You know, he hurt my baby Tyreek, you know. So um, <laughs> anyway, uh, getting back to the question, um, you know, we we were all ecstatic about Aaron Nelson in a, in a new approach to um, the whole training situation, the whole medical staff. And so the idea of him being completely healthy, but then, you know, like it's, it's a little bit troubling when you know that the guy feels up and he's physically able to play. You're seeing him dunking, but he's not playing in games and you're losing but at the same time they have all this data on him and they're doing tests and they they have goals that they're trying to meet and sort of change his body for the long run and extend his career and not rush him back for a playoff run that doesn't necessarily matter in his first year would be great in his first year but really this first year is about evaluation development figuring out who fits with who and you know building a consistent winner for the future. And I'm glad that they took their time to where they felt comfortable to where Zion felt comfortable and and brought it back in. So I don't really think that there were any missteps. The only misstep I would say is maybe just that they gave us a date at the beginning and then they didn't stick to that because they wanted to extend it and work on other things, which is fine. Um, and, and, and I'm totally satisfied with how that played out. Fish. Um, I agree with Kevin on that one. I mean, the only real negative was the timeline that wasn't stuck to, but the big positive I felt like was how much after Griffin started to feel like he had lost control of the narrative, he's going to insert himself into the media to grab hold of it. And, um, after Zion's first game, when there were questions about how many minutes and blah, blah, blah. He grabbed hold of, no, it's our medical staff's decision. I'm empowering them to make these decisions. And even if the coaching staff doesn't like it, I don't care. We're taking care of the player in the long-term future. That was probably the most, one of the most positive things that I've experienced as a Pelican fan from a, from a fandom standpoint that wasn't like in game related. Um, or winning the lottery related. Just the fact that he's like, no, we are going to do the right thing according to what the medical staff says. And the coaching staff is overruled because this is what he needs. And and like we saw, I mean, he played 27 minutes in his third game and he played 30 minutes in his fourth game. So he's already up to a full load, but they were taking their time. So it, it it's been superb. Ollie? Oh boy. All right. Look, I don't have an issue once we got past the point of where it was so quiet, right? Initial timeline, six to eight weeks, nothing, nothing, nothing crickets. And then we were approaching, you know, the end of that deadline. And I remember that Monday to where it was Christian Clark of uh, the advocate NOLA.com saying or asking Alvin Gentry, so can we expect anything back? What's the latest update basically on Zion? There was nothing. And then not a day or two later, we're watching Christian Ledlow 
and national people start talking about how he's suddenly doing stuff on the court now starting to do some practice drills and stuff like that so that was the only issue i had all of a sudden it was laid upon us boom i felt like that narrative was saved for the national media to appease them for all the games as i missed but we're going to put any kind of conspiracy theories aside but since that time hats off to them because i feel like at every turn before zion started playing we got those updates we got you know what zion was moving up to what started with three on threes and four and four is now full contact full practices we want him to go through x amount of practices which was what two three four five so ever since that time like i said they've they've been superb and i love what fish mentioned i love that they stuck to their guns were never pressured to bring him back on a certain date play him x amount of minutes close a game they've stuck to their guns and they have made sure according to the plan that has been laid out obviously by aaron nelson and the training staff in bringing him back and so you've got to be happy right because that buildup has been extreme to the point of where even this initial hey there's no minutes uh, restrictions mentioned by griffin to maybe he was right because they just wanted to see him for a game or two because let's face it it's not really minutes restrictions in my book when just over the course of four games you see a guy go from such limited uh, amount of time on the court and specifically not surpassing four minutes in any burst to what he did in the last game which was 30 minutes to where he plays six bursts, right? So it really truly isn't a typical minutes restrictions like we saw with Drew Holiday, right? When he was coming back from all those leg injuries, uh, what was that, three years ago? Or really any player that has been under, you know, minute restriction guidelines, quote unquote. So I'm, 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 I'm legitimately happy with the way they have handled um, the news regarding Zion and his return. I have no qualms about it. Yeah, the only negative that I take from this, and it isn't from the front office, for me, uh, well, I guess, you know, mine is on the fan base. That's 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 who my negative is on. Because, like, to, to Kevin's point, the Pelicans fans, rightfully so, were so upset over how medical issues have been handled with this franchise for years. And like you said, everybody applauded the hiring of Aaron Nelson. Everybody apply, uh, applauded the investment that the Pelicans put into understanding uh, their players' body mechanics, all those things. Then as soon as it isn't looking exactly the way as folks thought, then it was, well, this medical staff's no good, front office is lying, this, that, and the other, Zion could be never could never play again, and all these things start coming out, and it's not How just dare national you, Reggie thing, it, but it wasn't just national. It was local folks, too, and that's – that's the thing is if you've asked for this and they, but there is, has been, and I get part of it too, is that folks have been burned a lot and there's that kick dog mentality of I've been kicked. And when something is, it feels like something is about to go wrong. You feel like it's going to be really bad. And I get that, but I felt like the fan base could have, it could have, could have not killed the messenger in that regard, especially in those first two games where they basically blamed the medical staff for not, winning those games and i just thought that that was unfair um considering the fact the ultimate goal is five years from now ten years from now and you're hoping you're still having a zion williamson who is at the able to perform and when he should be entering or in the midst of his life so that was my only negative everything else seeing the way he's able to play now i'm 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 good with it Kevin, I'm giving you the, the, the send-off because I think you could do well with this one. Uh, 
in three words, summarized uh, Lonzo fans, the Twitter Lonzo fans' reactions if he <laughs> were to get traded. Three words. Oh, my God. <laughs> complete fucking meltdown. <laughs> well said. Well um, said. Yeah. Yeah, immediate. But we don't have to contemplate this, right? Let's get yeah. it out the right. I mean, I, I don't see a world. Can I just no say this? What, no matter what Fletch has said, no matter who has tried to trade Lonzo, it's not happening. All right. <laughs> can I can I say something about Lonzo though, real quick? Yeah. Is all right. So I don't know if people are still saying this, but I remember early in the season there was a lot of people saying this, and it's some people whose opinions I respect, you know, regularly. Um, were saying this that Lonzo is not a point guard, and I just. I mean, I don't see, I never saw it then, and I definitely don't see it now. And I think, I don't know if people still feel that way, but I feel like, like, this is dumb things that happen with teams. We look, I mean, going back to who we were just talking about earlier, Tyreek Evans, he was with the Kings, he came out rookie of the year as a point guard, and then they decide, no, we're going to make him a small forward, and it stunted his career. Then he comes here and they try to make him be an off-ball guard and then also sometimes a a, a a small forward and it minimized what he was able to do. And we saw when they would finally play Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans together how powerful it was. It has great net ratings, those lineups. Now, injuries cause problems there and a lot of weird coaching decisions. Um, and I felt like he came from two – he was dealt a really bad hand with two bad organizations. Who's doing that? Who's the who's the flapping sound? I, that's not me. That's just me flapping my lips. I don't know about uh, yeah. uh, somebody was rustling. But um, you know, and I feel like toying with who Lonzo is, and I think he's very similar to Tyreek Evans in a sense that you know he's a big guard who can get to the paint when he wants to. Tyreek had the willingness. Lonzo hasn't had it. He's starting to show it more, but that's what we want from him. A guy that just drives to the paint and then creates off of that or gets layups. And I think that works best with a, a you know, a great pick and roll big man like Zion should be. And uh, we've seen it work well with Drew Holiday. So I think he's right where you want him to be. I think he's a great point guard for the roster that we have and the fit that we have. So I wouldn't be looking to move him or I wouldn't be looking to, try to play him in another position. Um, so, you know, like, I'm all in on Lonzo. I, I don't know about you guys, but that's how I feel about him. You know, you, you know how I feel about him. And I think, you know, Ali and I certainly were pleased with him. Fish were pleased with him. So, yeah, I think that they – I'm not I'm not willing to say what his ceiling is at this point, but certainly um, the connection has been there, especially now that Zion has come back. Guys, we hit an hour. We were really – this was a clean one. I'm so proud of you. Um, but before, so thanks, before boss. Go, you're welcome. Let's just another reminder for folks to go to the bird rights, check out that round table on, on our trade deadline thoughts, both on whether or not we think the Pelicans are going to move. Also, if they do make moves, our suggestions and or thoughts about those, uh, plenty of detail. Uh, it'll be a great read. So please go check that out. Um, in companion with this, uh, podcast, Pels, of course, back in action Friday at the Smoothie King Center against the Memphis Grizzlies. They are looking to extend their win streak to three games. 
it would just be the third win streak of three or more games for the Pelicans this season. The longest, of course, being four games. So they need some of these. Uh, they need some win streaks to be pieced together uh, to get back into the hunt. Guys, any final words? Uh, Kevin, start with you. Um, can we just – all right, so Ollie threw out some names that he apparently didn't write. I think that people want some names. Can David and I give – and yes. you give Do one name that we can write about? One name. Okay. One. All right, a guy that I would love to acquire, whether this this season at the trade deadline or in the summer, DeAndre Bembry from Atlanta. All right, I'll let you give one little. I'll give you. I'll let you give, expound briefly as to why. Because he's a big guard. He he has a great euro step. He's great at getting in the paint. He can create for himself. He's okay catch up, catch and shoot. He's a solid defender. I think he's a versatile. Nice bench, uh, swingman two three guard that could fit well with this team, and he could be the kind of guy that Ollie talks about that creates a little bit when those other guys are on the bench because he can create offense for himself, but he also is able to create for others as well. And I think you know he has nice size and can rebound and defend a little bit too. Perfect, perfect summary. Fish, you're one guy, and why? So my one guy would be Tarian Prince from Brooklyn. He has a poison pill contract right now because he has a signed extension that has not taken effect yet, which makes it even more difficult to trade for him right now, but also makes him the ideal candidate to trade for this summer. Um, Possibly one of the pieces that helps match salary for Brooklyn in trading for Drew Holiday. Um, Many of the same strengths, not quite the creator that Bembry is, but when we're talking about you know, wings that Atlanta drafted in the last five years. Um, Bembry and um, Prince were right back to back. Um, But a bigger wing, um, a thicker body with a great wingspan, somebody who contributes on the the glass, which I feel like if the Pelicans want to play these small stretches where they're going to have Brandon Ingram at the four and Zion at the five, you need to have another big body that's going to contribute on the glass. That's been a big problem with the Zion with four guards lineups and also somebody that can hypothetically grow into the position where he is your wing stopper when you have those LeBrons and Kawhis and things like that. Not necessarily that he's going to do all of the lifting by himself, but he can be the guy that you say, hey, go guard that guy. We'll be behind you. So Torian Prince from Brooklyn would be um, my target, but that's less for the deadline and more for the summer. Gentlemen, I think uh, I think we touched all bases. And again, you know, I, I appreciate you guys playing by by my rules. I know they're not fun, but I, I just didn't. I don't want to. I didn't want to mute the impact of that that uh, roundtable because I do think it's going to have some great stuff in it um, for for our reader, our listeners, and our readers. Um, Ali, you have a last word? Uh, not really. I mean, we did a great job. All right, then you're talking about okay. Derek Favors. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> done, man. Done. All right. <laughs> Don't say not tomorrow, really. Trying to keep talking. <laughs> Don't say that. If you say not really, you're done. All right. These are this is there's a new sheriff now. But yes, sir. Hey. Um, yes, no, sir. No, but on, on my thought again, I think it's 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 going to be really tough. Uh, for the Pelicans to get somebody who moves the needle tremendously um, based on the contracts that are 
coming up over the next two years around the league. And just my, my biggest thing was, is that whoever they, if they do require somebody at the deadline, um, my positions would be um, the, the three, four swing type or um, a, a defensive minded big. Those would be my two top positions of, of interest. Uh, and then the other thing would be is nobody at the age of 24 and no more guards who are six, three, six, four. I don't, I don't want to see any more of that. Got enough of those on the roster. Uh, the the biggest thing is I think that they're missing is is a little bit more length um, at, at the in the front court and on the wing. That's my thought. Um, all right, guys. So like I said, Pelicans on Friday night against Memphis. You get to see John Morant in the Smoothie King Center. I think that's going to be great. Uh, I I think many of us have a love affair with John Morant as well. So uh, we'll be excited to see that. And Zion Williamson, Game Five. We'll see how many minutes he gets. And if Brandon Ingram can continue to round himself back into shape after a few uh, struggle games. So until the next time, for Ali Cosell, for David Fisher, and Kevin Barrios, I am David Grubb. This has been The Bird Calls, and let's go Pelicans. For listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today gambling it's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue but the truth is it can be quite fun picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your sundays even more exhilarating that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid.